inappropriate to go on living as though that event had not occurred. Sometimes it's a a personal moment. Getting married, for instance. Carissa and I uh, got married almost 15 years ago. How strange would it have been for us if after our wedding we had each just gone home to our separate places where we had been living and carried on life as though that day didn't happen? It'd be really weird. Wouldn't make any sense. Moreover, it would actually be wrong because marriage changes you. Because of that wedding, we are now committed to each other in an enduring and exclusive way to share all of life together. And so to live as though nothing has actually happened is to be out of step with our new reality. Life necessarily looks different on the other side of that event. Sometimes a dramatic change happens more globally. You can think about the impact of some of the the new technologies. Try running a business today without having a website. It's a different world. That doesn't work anymore. Or even something as simple as smartphones and texting. We all have that one friend or family member whom you text them a question and then they call you back with an answer. And we just want to take our friend gently by the arm and say, brother, it doesn't work that way anymore. The world has changed. It's different now. And so communication now works differently. But every once in a while, every once in a very rare while, something happens that is so big, so significant and extraordinary that it affects life, not just at the personal level or even the global level, but such that the entire cosmos will never be the same. The very fabric of creation is altered, inviting us, sometimes forcing us to live differently than we otherwise would have had that not happened. And the Bible tells us that there are four such cosmic events in history. Three of them in the past and one yet to come. The first was when God spoke everything into being, what we call creation. That changed things. Going from nothing existing to everything existing. That's a game changer. The second is when death entered the world in what we call the fall, when God's creatures rebelled against him and brought upon themselves punishment for that rebellion. The third is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, when rebels were redeemed and death was defeated, what's often called redemption, what we're here celebrating today. Those three have already happened in history. The one yet to come is the end of the story. What the Bible calls new creation. When all God's plans are brought to a glorious completion and life is finally and forever how it was meant to be. And what I want to do this morning is consider each of these world-altering events 
to walk through the story that they tell, the story of the Bible, so that we can understand the significance and weight of the third event, the one that brings us here today, redemption, the resurrection of Christ. And I want to think specifically about Christ's resurrection, the fact that Jesus rose bodily from the grave, that he had died and was buried and was really dead and really did rise bodily. And that as a result of that resurrection, the world would never be the same. I want to think about that. Because when Jesus stepped out of the tomb, the world that he stepped into was different than the one that put him on the cross. Something had changed. The resurrection changes everything. And I want us to see that this morning. What difference does the resurrection of Jesus Christ make? How is the world different because of the resurrection? And how should we live in it, therefore, differently? But we have to start at the beginning of the story with creation. With creation. This summer, our children uh, really, really want us to plant a vegetable garden in the backyard. Uh, The girls have already started growing flowers from seed in one of these little boxes you buy at Home Depot with the little lid and you put it under the lamp and and so on. But, But flowers are not enough. They want a vegetable garden. Corn, beans, and whatever else you plant in a vegetable garden. And I get it. There's something beautiful and creative about gardening. Watching something that you planted come to life and grow and bear fruit, there's also responsibility and authority. When you plant your own garden, you get to decide what plants go in there and which ones aren't. And you get to decide what happens to those plants that grow. The book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, tells us that when God created the world, he made something beautiful and good. A world brimming with life and glory. He simply spoke it into being. Think about that. He said, let there be light. And there was light. He said, let the earth sprout vegetation. And there was vegetation. Let the waters swarm with living creatures. And there they were. When we plant a garden, we have to work with stuff that already exists. We're just rearranging it, basically. God created everything out of nothing. And because he created it, it belongs to him. It belongs to him. He gets to decide what to put into his world and what others can and cannot do with it. He has the authority to rule his creation. He is the creator and the king. And his creation was beautiful. Over and over again in the first chapter of the Bible, we're told how God saw that what he made was good. He saw it was good. God delighted in his creation. It was good. But the crowning piece of his creation was humanity, was people. The first of whom was called Adam. And what makes humanity so special and unique among God's creation, is that people are made in the image of God. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Unlike every other part of creation that was each made according to its own kind, God made people in his own image, which means that we were made to be God's children, to have relationship with him. The way that a child looks like their parent, that's the picture. To have relationship, to reflect his character, to represent his rule on his earth. And the way that that originally played out was a garden. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Life in God's creation was good. It was, as we often call it, paradise. It was paradise. And God even gave the man a helper fit for him, the first woman, Eve. And together they enjoyed God's provision. Everything they could ever need. But more than that, the best part of it is that they enjoyed God's presence. God was with them in that garden. They could speak to him face to face. This is the way the world was meant to be. There was just one rule in the garden. One rule that reminded Adam and Eve that this was God's garden and God's earth, not theirs which means that he gets to decide what is good, what to include in it, what can be done with its produce. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat from every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Just one rule. But it was that one rule that Adam and Eve rebelled against. An event that was so dramatic that the very fabric of creation was altered. It was changed forever. Making it impossible to live in the world the same way as before. That brings us to the fall where sin and death enter God's good world. Death is not the way the world is supposed to work. We know this instinctively. It's why we grieve so deeply when it happens. From the death of a loved one, to the death of a pet, to the shriveled up flowers that didn't bloom like they were supposed to. Not to mention the massive casualties of countless wars and atrocity around the world. We are surrounded by death and it doesn't feel right. It doesn't fit. Because death was not part of God's design. It entered the world not by design, but as a punishment for rebellion against God and his rule. If you think of it this way, in essence, what Adam and Eve did was commit high treason against God and heaven. As it's been put, God offered Adam and Eve a paradise of yes and a single tree of no. But that wasn't enough. They wanted to be king. 
they thought that they could do a better job running God's garden than him, running God's universe than him, that, that they would make better decisions about what is right and what is wrong. They wanted to be able to call the shots. And that, my friends, is treason against heaven. To say, God, I'd rather be running things instead of you. And because God is committed to the goodness of his creation and the holiness of his name, he has to deal justly with evil and rebellion. And so death entered the world. What was designed as a paradise, brimming with life and glory, was replaced by a hard, thorn-infested earth, shrouded by death and plagued by curse. And to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the land. By the sweat of your face you shall eat your bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Death enters the story. And this is not just Adam and Eve's problem. Every person since then has run into the exact same problem. In some corner of our hearts, we all think that we would do a better job running this world than God. We don't like the way that he draws lines in certain places. If we were in charge, we would draw the line over here and life would be better. We all think that, that, that we could do a better job. So we all live in some way by our own rules. This is what the Bible calls sin. And it's everyone's problem, which means, therefore, that death is everyone's problem because death is the penalty for sin. As it says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We're all guilty in some way or another. We all live under death's curse. And we feel it. We feel it if we're honest. We feel it when our relationships don't work the way they're supposed to. When what should have been a source of comfort and security becomes an experience of sadness and betrayal and that relationship dies. We feel it when our jobs don't work. The slow death of a career that's being phased out through new technology. The quick death of a business partnership. We feel it when our bodies don't work. Getting old. Why is it that when I plant four flowers in the front yard, I can't stand up straight for the next six hours? That's not supposed to happen. More than anything, we feel it in our distance from God. Like there's this wall between us, shutting us out from life and relationship with him. And you can't go back you can't just pretend like the fall never happened, like sin and death never entered the world. 
It doesn't work. Though that doesn't stop us from trying. We do everything we can to avoid death. We drive the safest cars in history. We spend billions on medications. We shop at stores called Forever 21, as though what I wear will somehow stop the effects of age and decay, if I could just look good. We spend millions on cosmetics and hair color and all these things to try and, if we can't stop death, at least we can cover over the symptoms for a while. We even try to make it up to God sometimes. We recognize that, that separation, and so we try and do better for him, to do good, to, to help others, or go to church, or, or these different things we think that that's going to somehow set the record right. But that doesn't deal with the problem of death. Doing good doesn't deal with the problem of death because it doesn't deal with the problem of sin. Doing a bunch of good things doesn't get rid of the bad ones. The penalty still has to be paid. Which means that so far, nobody in history has figured out a way to cheat death. Well, there was one person. One person who didn't cheat death. He defeated it. Not by avoiding it but by going through it. Who did it not for himself, but for us and for his father. And understanding his story in light of the stories of the creation and the fall helps us understand what we mean when we say the resurrection changes everything. And that brings us to the next cosmic world-altering event, the one that we celebrate today, redemption, the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Think again about 1 Corinthians 15, the, the verses that we heard read a few minutes ago. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a young church that was plagued with all sorts of, of difficulties, and one of them was confusion about the resurrection. Not everybody believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Not everybody believed that resurrection was real, even in Paul's day. Dead people don't come alive again. You know, when you go to the grave, you stay there and you rot. That's what happens. That's how death works. And prior to Jesus, that logic was perfectly sound. But what Paul is telling us in chapter 15 is that something has changed. Something new and radical has happened such that the old rules no longer apply. Such that we must now live differently in the world on this side of the resurrection. First, he tells us, Paul tells us that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. So understand what that means, that, that the penalty that we all deserve for sin, this, this death penalty that came into the story, that penalty has been paid in full on our behalf by God's very own Son. Someone else showed up to pay your debt so you could be free. While we were making a mess 
of God's creation through our own little rebellion, trying to create our own little worlds, God sent his son not to condemn us, but to save us by taking the curse of sin onto himself. Where thorns once covered the ground because of our sin, they now adorned our Lord's head in a blood-stained crown. The death we deserved, he bore in our place, in his own body, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. But that's not all. The next thing Paul tells us is that Christ was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus didn't stay in the grave because he himself was not guilty of sin. Death had no jurisdiction over him. It had no authority to keep him in the grave because he wasn't guilty, unlike all of us. And so Paul declares in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus Christ conquered death. He defeated death not by avoiding it, escaping it, but by going through it. That he might deal with our sin, taking his father's holy anger against our sin and exhausting that punishment for us. And that he might disarm death and so offer new life to all who believe in him. Because notice that Jesus wasn't just raised for his own sake. He wasn't raised for his own benefit. Paul describes his resurrection here as the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Sleep here is a euphemism for death. It's a nice way of saying someone's dead. They're fallen asleep. But what does he mean by first fruits? The first fruits is an agricultural term for the first installment of the harvest that pledges more of the same to come. So you're looking over your field and it's ready to go and you take this first batch and you bring it to the Lord as an offering, as a, as a statement and a down payment, a seal that there's more of that harvest to come. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. That means he's not the only one who's going to rise from the dead. The resurrection that he accomplished is what we will all experience in the end if we have Jesus. He has overturned sin's curse. Paul puts it this way in verses 21 to 22, which Handel so beautifully set to music. For as by a man came death, that was Adam, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus overturns the curse. Which means, if this is true, this changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. It means that it is possible for a sinner, for someone who doesn't have it all together, who, who makes mistakes and lets people down, who lets God down. It is possible for a sinner to have relationship with a holy God 
Because there's forgiveness. If we have Jesus, that wall of sin that separates us from God has been torn down, paid for by his own blood. It means that death no longer has the final word. All of our clamoring to cheat death, to slow down or reverse the effects of the fall, they're all unnecessary. Because Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. He's defeated death. And if we have Jesus, we need no longer live in the fear of death. Because as Jesus himself puts it in John 11, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Life gets the last word through Jesus. If the resurrection is true, it means that God's original plan for creation is back on the table and already beginning to come true. Through Jesus, we can become God's children like we were meant to be. Through Jesus, we can serve God's kingdom like we were meant to be. Through Jesus, we are welcome into God's presence like we were meant to be. Through Jesus, we have purpose and meaning in life. A meaning and purpose that lasts and satisfies like we were meant to be. If the resurrection is true, it means that everything sad will one day come untrue. Our broken relationships, our broken hearts, even our broken bodies. If we have Jesus... His resurrection is the first fruits. Our resurrection is yet to come. Because there's one more chapter in the story. What the Bible calls new creation. In Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father. There's one more chapter coming in the story. The longest and the best chapter. As C.S. Lewis puts it, the great story which no one has ever read on earth, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. It is a grand finish to God's vision to create for creation. Something we can't even begin to imagine. And it's one that's made possible through the resurrection of Christ. Because Christ is risen, we have confidence that God's renewing work will come. And John gives us a taste. Jesus gives us a taste in his vision for John in Revelation 21. He says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Something that hasn't happened since the very first Part of the story. And here's the best part. He will wipe away 
every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Think about that. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is the hope available to us through Jesus. And Jesus himself wants us to have that hope. He wants us to step out of the realm of death the way the world used to be and to live in the world as it really is now that the resurrection has happened. Finding new and eternal life in Jesus. And we do that by trusting Him as our Savior. Jesus is not asking us to try harder or to be more religious. He's asking us to believe. Listen to what He says in John 5.24. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Because Jesus died for our sins, there is forgiveness. Because Jesus is risen, there is life. So many people choose to remain under the shadow of death. To carry on as if the world hasn't changed, as if the resurrection never happened. Running against the clock, trying to milk as much as they can from this world before it's too late. Trying to prove to themselves that their life was worth something. Trying to please themselves while they still have time. Even Christians... Those who believe in Jesus and and follow him so often still live as though Jesus is still in the tomb. Finding our identity and hope in this world, in people and possessions and achievements as though this life is all there is. Giving up on our fight against sin. Forgetting that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you through the Holy Spirit. But if Christ is risen, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. That's like showing up for class after you graduated. You're in the wrong place. It's like two people living separate lives the day after their wedding. The world is different now. And God calls us to live in it differently Not in slavery to sin or fear of death, but by faith in Christ and hope in the resurrection. So how will you respond this morning? How will you respond to what Jesus has done? How will you respond to his invitation to believe in him and live? I pray that each of us would think about that today and every day and find the joy and the freedom and the life that alone comes from Jesus.
Please pray with me. Gracious Father, we confess that we do not always live in reality. That so much of our life is spent as though Christ is still in the tomb. Lord, forgive us. And give us the faith and the joy and the passion to live in light of the resurrection. To live in the new day as it really is. Free from sin and death and alive to you. Help us to treasure Christ who has given us life, who has died for our sins and risen from the grave, whose own life and story have changed everything. We ask it in his name. Amen.